Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. What if you could call in the one in seven weeks? What if you could attract the love of your life in that time period, 40-something days? Would you do it? What if you could have a thriving and lasting relationship with someone, romantically, that is? Well, my guest today is none other than the amazing Catherine Woodward Thomas, now, she is the best-selling author, the New York Times best-selling author, I should say, of Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After, which is nominated for a Books uh, for a Better Life Award. And she's also the national best-selling author of Calling In, you, know, you guessed it, Calling In the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. She's also a licensed marriage and family therapist and teacher to thousands from all corners of the world. In, vir- in their virtual homes and in person as well. She's got a number of courses as well. Catherine is the originator of the conscious uncoupling process made famous by Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin, as well as she's the creator of Calling in the One, 49 Days to Love, which is an online course. You can go and check that out if you wish, which is on her website. Link will be in the show notes below. Catherine has also had the honor of being interviewed by Maria Shriver on her celebrated Architects of Change series, a main stage speaker at Lewis Houses. Many of you would know who he is. Summit of Greatness annual conference. And she has been privileged to share the stage with many people such as Marianne Williamson, who many of you would know as well, Jean Houston and Mary Manin Morrissey. Uh, for for many, many of you might know who they are as well, including many other extraordinary people. This was a fascinating conversation, I have to say. I mean, how many of you are someone like me that you know, wishes that you will find the one one day. Is there such a thing as putting a time limit on actually 
having the one enter into your life and what does that actually look like, where love comes from, why love exists in the first place, what it actually looks like for relationships, you name it. This was truly, say, an eye-opening conversation nonetheless. You may not agree with everything that Catherine says or you may agree with everything she says, but nonetheless, you can still try it out if you wish. Um, and you never know what will happen as a result. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope that you guys really enjoy this conversation. I know that I certainly did. My friends, do yourself a favor. If you like this conversation, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Just goes a long way in helping to support this show even more. All right, my friends. Also, don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. Link will be in the show notes below too. Grateful for each and every one of you that has already pre-ordered a copy. And I hope that you, if you haven't, you will go and do that uh, after this conversation. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box and learn more about conscious uncoupling and calling in the one as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Catherine Woodward Thomas. Oh, thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Apologies for butchering your your book. <laughs> you know, it's the tender thing. First of all, about a third of the people do that. And I and I forget to say that because it's an unusual play on words, you know, instead of happily ever after, it's happily even after. So it's kind of clever, but you're not alone. And and you know, forgive me for stepping on your toes. So no, I, usually I, I just let it go. But I'm so comfortable with you already. I'm just transparent. I just I appreciate you being transparent and for correcting me because I, I want you, it's your work and I butchered it. <laughs> so I feel bad for butchering it. Uh, so thank you for correcting me on, on that front. Uh, and would you believe that I actually did practice before <laughs> doing it? But I think in the moment, my brain just and my oh, eyes. You practiced. I don't know but, thank uh, you. That's yeah. so sweet. That's so A sweet. A lot you. of fun. But it's so good to have you here, Catherine. Cannot wait to dive further into your story. Before we do that, uh, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you? Oh, that's a great question. I think we're all redefining success right now, really. You know, we've been inside a very narrow perspective of success being, you know, very top heavy with uh, fiscal goals. And um, I think that at this point in our collective journey, it's becoming very clear that it's insufficient to simply be ambitious for ourselves alone, that we need to actually start to be ambitious for the human race. So that's how I am redefining success, is to be a great team player, a motivator, a way shower, um, someone who generates hope, who generates the love that's missing, uh, the relatedness that's missing, the healing, that is missing. And to me, that's, that's the game we're all inside of right now. You mentioned all these wonderful things just a moment ago. What does that look like on a daily basis in terms of your practices? Yeah, beautiful. Well, I've been working a lot with um, a system that I'm developing called the future self system. And that means that we start with the happy ending we desire. 
in any given area, and in particular in the area that looks ridiculously impossible, so that that happy ending looks like a completely unreasonable goal to even, you know, think, let alone speak out loud. So, you know, on a practical level, some of us struggle in relationship and love. And you say, you know, by this year, next, this time next year, I'm going to have an engagement ring on my finger. I'm going to be with the great love of my life. I'm going to, we're going to be planning our, you know, nuptials and, you know, in a, in a state of complete gratitude and joy. Or if somebody who is $100,000 in debt, you're going to say, I'm going to have $100,000 in the bank in savings and be debt free. So you, you kind of start with an unreasonable future. And on a collective level, that might look like, you know, we've reversed climate change. The children have hope. Uh, you know, America seems to have solved its, you know, bipolar problem. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, we are actually really in a dialogue that is productive and working things out together. Uh, democracy is protected throughout the world. I mean, you know, you know, that's what the future is that we all desire. The forests are coming back, the 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 fish are coming back, the, you know, all of the oceans are being restored. So wouldn't that be, you know, a beautiful future? So I think, you know, we, we've all kind of collapsed into dystopia pretty quickly. And we're in a lot of our images coming out of Hollywood. Please forgive me. I'm from California. I got to go down and talk to my colleagues down there because they're just one negative image after another. I'm like, no, don't you remember that part in the Bible that says without a vision, the people will perish. Let's give people a vision, something to aspire to. So I like to start with the future and I like to work backwards from there. And in particular, with the positive possible self of that future fulfilled, because from a metaphysical perspective, whatever we're focused on uh, grows and wherever we are centered at the level of identity is where we are generating our lives from. So it's very important to start from there and to name kind of the self that we have been um, overly identified with that might be a traumatized self, yeah. but some limited version that came from wounds or it was passed down through the lineage um, and to wake up to what's really true. And, and I say wake up like you feel it in your body, like, oh, I am more than good enough or, oh, I didn't come here to be alone. I came here to love and be loved and I have the power to create that. Right. So that's a somatic waking up. And then it's to look at how we've been responsible for generating the old story and how we show up habitually, covertly, unconsciously, and to deliberately take on this path of development. So what does it look like on a daily basis? It looks like you start on your meditation cushion. And, you know, I'm all for TM and where you empty your mind and just, you know, but that this is a different kind of meditation. It's a more um, intentional creation of the future. So what you do is you try on the future you desire. And in your imagination, you imagine that you're living it right now. What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What does it look like? So you're getting it into your body. And then you say, and who am I in this future? Well, I'm a person who's loved, who's valued, who's powerful, who's having an impact. You know, you just, you have to try on 
that self. And then you say to the universe, because you know you're you're taking on an intentionality to to generate something that you have no idea how you're going to get there. You know, if you want to build a house, you can probably make plans and figure out how many bricks you're going to need. But if you're a person who's always struggled in relationship and you say, Well, I want true love, you know, you can't run out and just make that happen. Yeah. So you're you're finding your way to a future that you have no idea how to get to. How do we, you know, heal the divide? In America, how do we deal racism in a way that gives us the access to being a post-racist society? Yeah. You know, we don't even need to be anti-racist anymore because we're in a post-racist age. So, like, what does that look like? How would how would we possibly get from where we are to there? Well, that you need to be listening to the universe. So it's a lot of faith. And you say to the universe with your vision now, you know, back to your vision on your meditation cushion. What would I need to let go of to find my way to that future? And you listen. And usually the answers kind of come when you ask a question. You just kind of know. It doesn't have to be a big burning bush experience. It can just be a simple, quiet whisper in your solar plexus. Well, you know, you got to give up that guy that you're seeing. He's really toxic for you. You know, we know things that we're supposed to be letting go of. And then the next question, how will I need to grow? in order to find my way to that future? And the final question, what is my next step? You know, all of us want good things. All of us hope for good things. But the difference between wanting something and intending something is that when you intend it, you become responsible for showing up in a way that co-creates that possible future. So we're not running out to try and make these things happen as much as we're we're leaning in to become who we would need to be in order for that future to manifest and to sustain it. And that's a growth trajectory. So that's my daily practice. I love that daily practice, everything you just mentioned there. And I think, is there anything that would, is any future unrealistic to think? Or is all futures that we think about actually realistic and possible to achieve? Like if you think at the moment, for example, I'm not in a relationship, (laughs) I'm single. So I want to speak to people that are single alongside of me. Uh, Is it unrealistic of me to put a time limit on me being in a relationship? Because what if that time limit doesn't come to be, even though I do have the faith the workings, everything, and I believe it's going to happen. But if that timing, if that future doesn't actually work out, is it unrealistic of me to think that in the first place? You know, I think it's a brilliant question and I really appreciate it. Um, I do encourage people to put time limits on things only because it puts urgency in the space and it puts us into action. So for example, you can, you can feel the difference somatically between saying, you know, one day I'm going to run a marathon as I'm, you know, downing a beer and chomping on chips, right? One day I'm going to do that one day. That's going to happen one day versus in six months from now, I'm going to be running a marathon. It's like, oh, shoot, I, I, I got to put, I, I'm throwing the chips out, you know, beer's going down the drain. I'm getting out water and I'm 
you know, hitting the pavement tomorrow. So it puts you into a sense of urgency in terms of the transformation you need to engage immediately. So the date is not to try and force the universe because who knows, maybe your perfect person is just in the midst of a divorce and the timing isn't right for her. But if it, but the game is then becoming who you would need to be to have that happen. And I find that, you know, once you start to get into integrity with that future, now there's things to give up. I mean, that's what calling in the one is all about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to give up because there's parts of us that actually don't really want relationship. And, you know, if you turn towards them and say, you know, what's going on, you find out that in many ways it makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, I have a history of giving my power away and I have my mission here. And I think, you know, if I'm in relationship and I give my power away, I might not, you know, do what I came here to do. That's very common for people to feel that way. So what I say is, well, you know, let's let's put down the wall and let's look at the development then. How about learning good boundaries? Mm-hmm. And then you say, oh, okay, that's where I need to grow in order for one year for now to be in a relationship. I better have some good boundaries. So let me call my sister and say no to what I just said yes to because it doesn't work for me, really. I was just people pleasing or, you know, you know, being codependent or whatever. So it puts you into motion pretty quickly. Now, what happens if you don't? You by that time, you would have gained so much by being in integrity with that possible future. And so many things would have shifted in your life because of it. You know, it's like if I say the marathon in six months and then I don't make that particular marathon, well, I've lost 12 pounds and I feel great because, you know, I can run three miles and I never did that before in my life. So I'm not really going to complain, but I might I might say, OK, I didn't make it this time, but I'll make it next year. So by next year, I'm going to do that. But you're already in this spiral upwards, you know. Um, the other thing is, I think, you know, a lot of it, I, I have debates with my friend uh, who's an astrologer. A love expert and an astrologer, because she'll look at the chart and say, "Oh, sorry, no love for five years." Like there's a period there, ouch. right? <laughs> I know, ouch is right, really. So I like to say, "Well, look, you know, but I, I before I called in the one, which is how I, you know, figured out how to do this particular forty uh, nine day program that I share with people, which I did on myself successfully first after decades of toxic." drama traumas in relationship um but she she always you know it's kind of definite that's in your chart you can't really argue with the chart but i always tell her you know look i had astrologers i had numerologists tell me sorry you're never gonna get married in this lifetime it's not gonna happen for you you're not supposed to be a mother and i was just crushed right and we believe these things because it's kind of a science and we you know, some things happen in the charts or the new, you know, people they're they've got their the hand. It's not like they're not good, worthy sciences to pay attention to. Yeah. But I like to say, look, if I came in as a soul and my chart was a particular way and I said, oh, I'm going to choose that chart because I don't want relationship. I'm going to go for a mission. But then I get to the planet and I say, "Mm, I didn't actually realize that this was going to be so lonely or so hard. And I actually need the support of somebody to me realize my mission. I'm changing my mind. I'm changing the game, God. Universe, pay attention. I'm, I'm planting my stake in the ground. This is the future I'm standing for now. 
I know I chose that before because there's nothing more sacred about you before you incarnated than you right now. And I think we're all kind of asleep to how much power we have to influence what happens or does not happen. But it starts with commitment, intention, you know, and commitment, and then a kind of a a co-creative partnership. It's almost like, you know, we know this for artists, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote that great book, Big Magic, and she's talking about listening for what's wanting to come through you. It's the same for all of us with our lives. It's not just, you know, the, the canvas or the, the, you know, the typewriter for lack of a better word, because I lived in the days of typewriters. You wouldn't know what the typewriter is, I'm sure. <laughs> I love typewriters. <laughs> okay, you love typewriters. That's They're okay. iconic. <laughs> there you go. So, but it's not just like the art, the novel, it's yeah. your life. It's your life. What's wanting to come through you as a social artist, as a social being, as someone who chose to be born at this particular time on the planet? You know, I think we all feel called right now and uh, so so it is a certain way of being in relationship to life it's a different system than the more logical system that most of us are used to and masters of what's your goal what do you have to do to reach that goal you know i love goals but goals are really only good when you can really see a predictable future so the answer to your question is you know, go for the gold in the areas that you can't possibly see how that could happen. And it will force you into a, a more of a co-creative partnership with the universe yeah. because you, you can't figure it out with your mind. You have to go with your instinct. It's a massive perspective shift for a lot of people to actually listen to that, even for myself, because even though you're striving for something that you do really want you are attaining all these things that you really need, even though you might not necessarily want them in that moment. Like you're, you're heading towards the main goal for, for me, it would be being in a loving relationship with someone. And then uh, as I'm going through, I, I, I don't really notice how I am becoming the person that is going to be like great for a relationship, so to speak. Like I'm, I'm becoming hopefully patient, <laughs> hopefully kind, hopefully someone that uh, is respectful and in someone like you said of, of integrity. And I'm learning that as the process goes along, but I think what we are so good at doing and I'm including myself in here, Catherine is we become impatient and we start blaming ourselves and then when someone comes along and tells us otherwise like hey you're not meant to have love you're not meant to do this this and this we we believe it straight away which then complicates things even more and it just makes us feel more miserable and we get stuck as a result so yeah yeah that's from yeah that's it (laughs) yeah yeah well i had one woman who um who started a class with me. This is when we used to do classes in person. We'd have like 30 people gather in a room to do calling in the one together over a period of a few weeks. And uh, she came the first night in class and she was really discouraged as we're going around the room because she had just been to see her psychic who she had known for years. He'd been her guy. And he said to her, sorry to tell you, but there's no love in your, in your future. You're going to be single forever and um you know you just need to adjust to that so she was crushed and she came in like just you know shoulders hunched over 
And, uh, but she did the calling in the one process anyway. She started to do the work. She set an intention. She started to see her, what her pattern was. She started to ask herself, how am I the source of the pattern? But outside of blame and shame, because blame and shame stunts development. And we make ourselves wrong. We get stuck. Um, so, you know, it's like objectively, what are the choices I'm making? How do I show up in a way that might be off-putting? What are the parts of me that doesn't really want relationship? All that kind of inquiry. And she's doing this. And a few weeks later, she went back to her psychic for some other thing around the issue with her business or something. And he did her her spread and he gasped and he said, what did you do? You just changed your whole future. Let me tell you about your husband. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that great? So, So we have influence. We have power. And we we kind of forget that most of us are a little passive in relationship to our lives. We're kind of waiting to see how it's all going to turn out. Yeah. And I like, you know, I appreciate psychics, intuitives who can kind of read the field, but they're just looking at the probabilities that are present and the karma, karma being all the collective choices. There are collect, there is collective karma. That's what we're experiencing right now. I don't believe that all of us are responsible for every single thing that happens to us. Certainly all the victims of, you know, school shootings, the parents who are heartbroken, they didn't do anything to create that. It's the collective karma in America right now. So people are being hurt that had nothing to do with those decisions, nothing to do with those actions because we all belong to each other. And, you know, we're, even though we like to think of ourselves as completely autonomous, <laughs> independent, we're not actually, we're very relational. So um, so I understand that there are things that are already in motion. And I do understand that that's what's feeding the dystopian uh, visions of the future. But I do have a message that we have much more power than we give ourselves credit for. And it begins with the willingness to say, what are the possibilities of a positive future? And in any area, even if you're feeling it's only 3%, hey, stick your foot in the door of that opening. That's the one that's worthy of your attention. And to begin to cultivate who you would need to be for that future to happen. You know, this is us as deliberate creators of the future. So everyone can have the one for their life at some point. Is that right? I think that we can all have what we are really willing to stand for. And, um, you know, and I'm also realistic. And if you were born with cerebral palsy and you say, I want to run a marathon, you're probably going to need a special wheelchair to do that. Yeah. Right. So there are limitations to the physical realm, but most of us are way overly identified with the limitations and we're collapsed into that center. And one of the reasons I'll tell you why, um, first of all, the way that we're doing our own inner development work, and now I'm putting on my psychotherapist hat, but the way that we're doing it where we're only looking backwards at some point, we have to be aware that, that we don't want to get in danger of spending too much time on my mother, my father, my older brother, my crazy uncle Joe or whatever, or my teacher, you know, and this happens. So we have, we have to do the trauma recovery work. And you don't want to spend so much time back there that you solidify the self 
that you created in response to the trauma. So for example, if your mother was a narcissist, if you only look at that, you know, the invisibility that you felt, the not good enoughness that you grew up in, you know, it's hard to overcome that by looking backwards alone. You have to look into the future. I'm a person on stage who's being received. My message is delivered. I'm visible in the world. And I only relate to people. I only have people in my inner circle where there's mutuality and I see them and they see me. Who will? I, who would I be in that future? What's the missing growth and development? Well, first I have to see myself. Because yeah. when my mother didn't acknowledge my feelings, I never learned what they were either. So I'm really good at seeing other people, but I don't even remember to check in with myself. What are you feeling, Catherine? Yeah. Right. So there's development in that journey. So the reason why we have so much resignation is because we're overly identified with the self we created in response to trauma. And we think that's who we are, but it's not who we are. It's the traumatized self. And so I look to wake people up to the true self. The second reason, Jay, that we're, we are um, really uh, re resigned is because we feel very victimized and powerless against most of what happens to us and the patterns that we struggle with. Um, even those of us who've done a lot of work on ourselves, we still feel kind of victimized, like, oh, now I have love avoidance or now I have anxious attachment because... You know, my mother or my father and he cheated and she, you know, was depressed or whatever it is in and out. Now I'm kind of stuck with this. So we feel very victimized by our own consciousness yeah. and how we internalize the imprints. Or we so inside, but inside of that, we're not seeing how it's happening through us. Right. So in the invisibility, how is invisibility happening through us? Well, it's very simple. I have my first attention on the other person. Mm. And I have an assumption they wouldn't care about my feelings and needs. So I never presence them. And I don't give the other person a chance to actually demonstrate that they would care about my feelings and needs. Or I skip over the red flags that when I do express my feelings and needs early on in the relationship, that the other person dismisses them, steps over them, ignores them. It's all about them, you know, and I just somehow choose that person anyway, right? So this is myself as the source, and I've got to see it clearly in order to make a promise to myself to stop showing up like that and to have the courage to speak up, to speak out, to presence myself, to grow myself in a different direction. We can outgrow any of these patterns, but we have to see specifically how we're the source of them. So once you start to understand, once you understand even one way you're the source of your patterns, you start to go, oh, wow, I do have access to power. I can actually change some of these things. You can change from a victim mindset to a victor's mindset. Yes. It's fairly, it's amazing when that happens. It's like this massive light bulb, this old light bulb has burst and a new one has been put in its place. I say that happened to me towards the end of 2019. If I'm being honest, it kind of still happens because I have, have these old patterns that sort of try and weave their way into my life, these triggers that try and stop me. 
from going on the the path forward <laughs> and try and keep me back. So I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I have the power to move forward. And here's why, because I, I'm living proof of it. Like I've done it so many times. So what's to stop me from this time? And I know trauma can be a nasty thing for a lot of people, pain, hurts, you name it, but you do have the power. You've, give, you've been given the power. Don't let the trauma take away it from you. Beautiful. Can I give you a trick that I learned from Stephen Gilligan, the wonderful founder of self-relations therapy? Um, When you're triggered and you're conscious like you are, you know you're triggered, you know you want to go backwards, you don't want, you're going to stop yourself. The best thing to do is just take a deep breath and notice where it is in your body. Right, because usually it's going to be your solar plexus. It might be your heart. Some people they say it's their throat. You know, their throat is closed. I always tell people go to the lowest part in your body because it might be multiple places. Put your hand there and say, "What's the I am? What's the assumption that that I'm inside of right now?" Because that's the collapse. Oh, see, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Oh, see, I'm not safe. Oh my gosh, I'm not wanted again. So see if you can name it. You might name it as a belief about others, like I'm invisible and no one cares about me. So see if you can name it. And then this is the key question. How old are you? Mm. How old are you, sweetheart? Right. And then you can, now you're connected with your younger traumatized self. Yeah. And you've got your adult self there because you're talking to yourself. That's the witness. You're witnessing what you're going through. So you send yourself love, that little girl, little boy. You say, sweetheart, it's not, you're more than good enough. Or I'm right here. I've got your back. Or yes, this is a disappointment, but it doesn't mean that you'll never have love. Right? So you can talk as a rational adult, but you're talking to the younger self and you're mentoring that younger you. And then you can proceed moving forward, making choices, taking actions from the part of you that has resources and perspective and power. How did you discover, what's the story behind you discovering calling in the one? You know, I I kind of mentioned before that I had all these really painful patterns in love. And um, I was a person who, I, I was kind of messed up from childhood. I had a very... Um, unstable uh, background. Uh, My mom was super, super young, in and out of several marriages, moving every year. So, you know, it it was kind of chaotic. She was overwhelmed, very rejecting, you know, she, she, anyway, so I had a lot of challenges. And I also come from a lineage of alcoholics. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I was one of those at-risk kids. I was smoking by the time I was 10, sleeping around by the age of 14. I'd clip classes. I'd go to the bar and drink with all the drunks when I was 14 in the afternoon. (laughs) I was really out of control. But I was fortunate that I had a spiritual experience that let me know that there was some kind of higher power and that I didn't, I wasn't supposed to hurt myself or, you know, do really self-destructive things. So now I had, I was kind of screwed up, but I also had a spiritual awakening and a hunger So both were happening at the same time. 
And, uh, and I started, I had an eating disorder. So I ended up in 12 step programs. I ended up going to transformational seminars and therapy. So I was a person who was really working on myself and I was making a lot of progress, but the relationship area was not improving a whole lot. And I had a particular pattern of just unavailable people, impossible loves. That was my thing. So, you know, married people had a thing for me. Um, gay men who wanted to explore had a thing for me. It's just like, it's very versatile. It was just like, you know, one impossible thing I worked with, I worked down on Skid Row with homeless parolees for a while. So men who were getting out of prison had a thing for me. I mean, it was just, you know, who were homeless. It was like, <laughs> like nobody decent who'd like actually be like the right person to partner with. Right. And so most of the time, truthfully, I was alone for years at a time. And uh, and when I did get involved with someone, it was always pretty painful and a drama trauma. And um, and I felt kind of sorry for myself and confused about it. I mean, I was working on myself so much that that's when I became a psychotherapist. So then I'm helping other people have good relationships, but my relationships are not working. So it wasn't until I was really in my early 40s that I discovered the power of setting an, an unreasonable intention. And I was doing it with a group of people. There were about six of us in the group and people were just really listening to each other's intentions with heart and holding each other and, you know, just wishing each other well and being accountability partners. So people, one person doubled their income, another person bought their first house, like these things were happening. And I was on the, the tail end of yet another disastrous love affair. And um, I called a friend from this group and I said, I am going to set a really unreasonable intention that I'm going to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. Now, I hadn't been engaged since I was like 19. And that was, you know, ridiculous because I wasn't already and the whole thing blew up. But I'd been trying to get engaged ever since and uh, really wanted a family. And uh, she said something that really changed the game for me because that's when she said, Catherine, I'm going to hold that intention with you and for you if you give me permission to hold you accountable for being the woman you would need to be in order for that to be so in just eight months, because it was only eight months away. And that was beautiful because instead of running out like a crazy person, just trying to find someone, it really put me into this deepening, like, okay, how am I the source of this? How do I need to change? And I had, I think up until that point, just kind of confused the issue with wanting love so much that I just assumed I was ready and available. And I wasn't, I didn't know that really until I started to ask myself all these questions I've been sharing with you. The biggest transformation for me, and this is where I discovered that practice I shared with you, and that's how I'd start. And some days I'd get up, what's my next step? Oh, clean out your drawers. So there's space for him when he arrives or, you know, declutter your apartment. But sometimes it was much deeper. You know, what are the old agreements? Who do you have a promise to that you're, you know, it's kind of floating around in the background. And I had a promise to a man I hadn't seen in 20 years that, you know, one day we'd be together again. And I, I, he was already married, but I, I dreamt about him. It was like still incomplete. So completing those things, but the biggest transformation 
was this uh, chronic experience of um, my own belief at the level of identity that I was all alone in this mm-hmm. world, that no one ever, would ever really be there for me. And when I really got that and I could feel that it was such a younger version of me, I mean, I think it was even pre-verbal. So I'd never really quite named it before because it actually happened outside of language. But this assumption that no one would ever be there for me, well, that was, you know, the motivation for getting entangled with people who actually wouldn't be there for me because it wasn't even on my criteria that somebody would be there for me, right? Because assumptions don't, I mean, beliefs don't live as assumptions they live as facts like this is you know god made the mountain god made the sun this is how god made me so we just act out of it so once i saw it and identified it i really asked myself what's really true about you and this idea that you came here to be alone and that no one would ever be there and what i got was i didn't come here to be alone i came here to love and be loved and i have the power to to learn how to have good relationships, even though I didn't see it modeled, even though I've never had that. I can learn. I'm a good learner. So once I woke myself up and I started to show up and started to then take responsibility for how I was showing up in ways where I was the generating aloneness with my profound self-sufficiency or my lack of willingness to be vulnerable, really, or, um, kind of self-abandoning to avoid any conflict with anyone because it always seemed like the beginning of the end. Um, I really owned that and I started to to really take seriously growing myself capable of navigating conflict, present to myself at all times, willing to take the risk to be vulnerable. The moment I started doing that, everything changed. Everything radically, rapidly changed. It was actually quite shocking. And um, as and I kept doing the, the, the morning practice and a few weeks in, I started to imagine this man from six years before and get this feeling like I should call him, but I kind of messed it up with him six years before that. Very, you know, wonderful man. And I put it off, put it off, put it off because I was embarrassed Went to a church service. I'd been going to this church for 10 years. I'd never seen this man. At. His name is Mark. And I see him across the parking lot. I, I, I feel shy again. I don't go say hello. And he leaves. So we didn't connect. Two weeks after that, my friend convinces me to get on the internet. <laughs> this is in 1999. Mm. It wasn't like what it is now. We were just starting to go there. So the internet site, the only one she knew about was one where they didn't even have the technology to put your pictures up. So there's a quarter of a million people with no pictures. I end up responding to one person completely anonymously. And when he writes me back the next day, it was Mark. It's crazy. Crazy. So we were engaged two months before my birthday, married the next year. And then at 43, I gave birth to our daughter. And that's when I thought, okay, that could, that could that's not a personal miracle. That had to be for everybody. Let, let me write down what I did. Because people were asking me, what did you do? So I just started, I wrote Calling in the One just because people were saying, wait a minute, what did you do? <laughs> so I duplicated it. <laughs> Give me a step-by-step process on, on how to do the same thing. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's it's a 49-day program. You get one piece at a time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That is that is such a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I mean, yeah, there's hope for me. <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah. I mean, I, I say to people at the moment, and, and thank you so much for, for sharing that story, uh, Catherine. I really do appreciate it. I say to people, like right now, I'm in a season of singleness, mostly by choice. Uh, but it, that doesn't mean that if the one was to turn up soon, uh, then I won't jump at it. <laughs> um yeah, because I, I don't want to be alone and I'm I'm tw- almost 26 uh, at the moment. So I know my parents are wanting to have grandkids at some point. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on, on that front. But No, it's gorgeous. And I, I just want to give you my my calling and the one juju blessings. Oh, thank you. That happened quickly for you. Thank you. I received that. Uh, for those people that want to know and it's something that I'm I'm curious about firstly what is love how do we know that it's love is it more than just a feeling oh it's definitely more than a feeling uh, I think love is care love is not a feeling and actually that was a really uh, big distinction for me when I was dating way back when I remember when I was dating narcissistic people and They'd say, but I love you. And then they'd go and just completely ignore my feelings and needs and do what they wanted. And it was so confusing to me. And that's when I realized, oh, your internal feelings of love is not what love is. (laughs) That love is actually about extending ourselves for the well-being of others. That's love. So there's there's an action component. There's, I always say attention is the currency of love, our attention. And that's a big deal right now because we're all in our phones and our lives are so full and busy. It's hard to give each other attention. It's a discipline right now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think it's important to cultivate the qualities of love. One of the things to do for those who've had maybe, you know, not so ideal upbringings, didn't really learn about love from your upbringing that you're overcoming, is to become a student of healthy love, of happy love, and to really honor your own need for things like integrity and someone to really be there and show up and be consistent and generous and pay attention to your feelings. They can't give you everything you want and need, but they listen, they care, they do their best to adjust, you know, to learn how to have healthy arguments, to learn how to speak the truth, to learn how to say no and disappoint the person you love because you have to be true to yourself, to learn how to listen to that person saying no and to not withdraw your love because they're taking care of themselves. You know, all of these things are what is really required. So for most of us, it's a growth journey. And uh, a lot of us are kind of hip to, oh, my attachment style, I'm anxious or avoidant or some combination thereof, or I have disorganized attachment. But all that is, is what we call missing development. There's certain things you need to learn, certain skills you didn't get. So you want to get busy growing yourself in that direction so that when love comes, you're ready 
because all relationships are a spectrum of possibilities, not just about meeting the right person. It's about being the right person when you meet the right person so that you can actually create the right relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do some couples fall out of love with each other? Is it because they've stopped caring? They've stopped doing all those necessary things that require us to be in love? I think people get disappointed and don't have ways of processing the disappointment with each other. Um, And I think that sometimes uh, what people do in relationship is create a kind of pseudo safety. So instead of authentic engagement where you keep turning towards each other and really engaging in service to finding the truth and finding the true path for each other, Um, You kind of shut things down, you turn away from your knowing, you don't ask the questions you need the answer to, um, and that deadens the field. And then you have like a pseudo relationship. Or if you're not developed enough to hold on to your own sense of self, and you give too much of yourself away, you're kind of a shell of a person. And you might feel like I can't even take care of myself in this relationship. I have to leave in order to be okay and take care of myself. So all of these things, um, you know, are what drives us to, to break up prematurely with people. And sometimes that's what we need to do. And that's where conscious uncoupling comes in. It's like, okay, if you're going to break up with someone, let's do it consciously. And in a way that's going to help you grow from the experience and not dim down your chances for love moving forward, but really expand you and help you to learn your lessons so that the next time around, it's even better than before. Yeah. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Oh, thank you. I think I love how committed I am to life. How, how completely devoted I am and resilient I am in the face of the disappointments of life, the betrayals that we all suffer, the setbacks. Um, I think right now, all of us are kind of reeling just from what's happening in our world and our hearts are kind of broken most of the time. Mm -hmm. And to, to continue to be someone who affirms the goodness of life and then generates it at any given term, at any given moment, to the best of my ability. That's what I love most about myself. Mm. I love that. It's so cool. I've got two quick final questions for you, Catherine, because I do okay. want to be respectful of your time. Um, you. What is a love alchemist? Oh, a love alchemist. That's actually the step four uh, in conscious uncoupling, become a love alchemist. It is someone who uh, recognizes the normal impulses of people to blame and shame each other at the end of a relationship or in a difficult time. Uh, It's somebody who has been wounded by the arrows of love and who chooses anyway to turn things around in a healthy direction for the greater good of everyone involved. And um, it's almost an Aikido move, really. It's to bring repair in moments where one was not expecting repair, probably. Um, one of the metaphors for being a love alchemist is kintsugu, which a kintsugi, which is a Japanese art form that when you have a pottery piece that's broken, you repair it with gold. 
so that the repaired pottery becomes even more valuable than the original pot was because the you you uh, you validate the value of the pot by how you choose to repair it. So um, step four is about really this decision to do exactly what I was just saying I like about myself, to love in the face of no love, to be a generator of goodness, healing, light, happiness, well-being, even in the face of intense disappointment, intense sorrow, intense betrayal, to be willing to take responsibility for your part and make an amends and clean up your side of the street to not allow someone with the lesser consciousness to determine the dynamic between you. All of these things are what being a love alchemist is. Interesting. Very interesting. Thank you so much for your time today, Catherine. This is my final question for you. I've loved this conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for a, a lot longer, <laughs> but it, this question is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I would hope that the film was watching the people who were listening and the tears in their eyes of relief, of hope, of possibility, and of healing. That's what I would hope to see because I think it's all we take with us anyway. It's beautiful. Where can people connect with you, Catherine, buy your books and learn more about your work? Yeah, thanks. Just on my website, katherinewoodwardthomas.com. And uh, I am just launching right now. Um, I think we're going to get it up this week. Is uh, But anyone who, who joins the Love Out Loud list, we've been sending messages, but I'm just about to go into a writing period. So I created a really special ebook that I think is good enough to be selling on the shelves of the store. Sometimes people slap together eBooks, but this one really has great information in it. And uh, I just want to give it to people. It's just love. It's really, it's wisdom messages on love. And then there's practices on how to embody that and live that. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you. I personally think you're amazing, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you. It's been a joy. I love all your questions and I, I really appreciate you a lot. And thank you for your vulnerability and transparency. I know that uh, I know that you're going to be very, very happy in love. I can see that for you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. 
Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.